Chapter 20 of the Narrative of Sojourner Truth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Thompson. The Narrative of Sojourner Truth by Olive Gilbert and Sojourner Truth. Chapter 20 New Trials. The reader will pardon this passing homily while we return to our narrative. We were saying that the daydreams of Isabella and her husband, the plan they drew of what they would do and the comforts they ought to have when they should obtain their freedom and a little home of their own, had all turned to thin air by the postponement of their freedom to so late a day. These delusive hopes were never to be realized, and a new set of trials was gradually to open before her. These were the heart-wasting trials of watching over her children scattered and imminently exposed to the temptations of the adversary with few, if any, fixed principles to sustain them. Oh, she says, how little did I know myself of the best way to instruct and counsel them. Yet I did the best I then knew when with them. I took them to religious meetings. I talked to and prayed for and with them. When they did wrong, I scolded at and whipped them. Isabella and her son had been free about a year when they went to reside in the city of New York a place which she would doubtless have avoided could she have foreseen what was there in store for her. For this view into the future would have taught her what she only learned by bitter experience, that the baneful influences going up from such a city were not the best helps to education, commenced as the education of her children had been. Her son Peter was, at the time of which we are speaking, just at that age when no lad should be subjected to the temptations of such a place. Unprotected as he was, save by the feeble arm of a mother, herself a servant there, he was growing up to be a tall, well-formed, active lad of quick perceptions, mild and cheerful in his disposition, with much that was open, generous, and winning about him, but with little power to withstand temptation, and a ready ingenuity to provide himself with ways and means to carry out his plans, and conceal from his mother and her friends all such as he knew would not meet their approbation. As will be readily believed, he was soon drawn into a circle of associates who did not improve either his habits or his morals. Two years passed before Isabella knew what character Peter was establishing for himself among his low and worthless comrades, passing under the assumed name of Peter Williams, and she began to feel a parent's pride in the promising appearance of her only son. But alas, this pride and pleasure were shortly dissipated, as distressing facts relative to him came one by one to her astonished ear. A friend of Isabella's, a lady, who was much pleased with the good humor, ingenuity, and open confessions of Peter, when driven into a corner and who she said was so smart he ought to have an education if any one ought, paid ten dollars as tuition fee for him to attend a navigation school. But Peter, little inclined to spend his leisure hours in study, when he might be enjoying himself in the dance or otherwise, with his boon companions, went regularly and made some plausible excuses to the teacher, who received them as genuine, along with the ten dollars of Mrs. And while his mother and her friend believed him improving at school, he was, to their latent sorrow, improving in a very different place or places, and on entirely opposite principles. They also procured him an excellent place as a coachman, but wanting money he sold his livery and other things belonging to his master, who, having conceived a kind regard for him, considered his youth 
prevented the law from falling with all its rigor upon his head. Still, he continued to abuse his privileges and to involve himself in repeated difficulties, from which his mother as often extricated him. At each time she talked much and reasoned and remonstrated with him, and he would with such perfect frankness lay open his whole soul to her, telling her he had never intended doing harm, how he had been led along little by little till before he was aware he found himself in trouble, how he had tried to be good, and how, when he would have been so, evil was present with him. Indeed, he knew not how it was. His mother, beginning to feel that the city was no place for him, urged his going to sea, and would have shipped him on board a man of war, but Peter was not disposed to consent to that proposition while the city and its pleasures were accessible to him. Isabella now became a prey to distressing fears, dreading lest the next day or hour come fraught with the report of some dreadful crime, committed or abetted by her son. She thanks the Lord for sparing her that giant sorrow, as all his wrongdoings never ranked higher in the eye of the law than misdemeanors. But as she could see no improvement in Peter, as a last resort she resolved to leave him, for a time, unassisted, to bear the penalty of his conduct, and see what effect that would have on him. In the trial hour she remained firm in her resolution. Peter again fell into the hands of the police and sent for his mother as usual, but she went not to his relief. In his extremity he sent for Peter Williams, a respectable colored barber whose name he had been wearing, and who sometimes helped young culprits out of their troubles, and sent them from city dangers by shipping them on board of whaling vessels. The curiosity of this man was awakened by the culprits bearing his own name. He went to the tombs and inquired into his case, but could not believe what Peter told him respecting his mother and family. Yet he redeemed him, and Peter promised to leave New York in a vessel that was to sail in the course of a week. He went to see his mother and informed her of what had happened to him. She listened incredulously as to an idle tale. He asked her to go with him and see for herself. She went, giving no credence to his story, till she found herself in the presence of Mr. Williams, and heard him saying to her, I am very glad I have assisted your son. He stood in great need of sympathy and assistance, but I could not think he had such a mother here, although he assured me he had. Isabella's great trouble now was a fear lest her son should deceive his benefactor and be missing when the vessel sailed, but he begged her earnestly to trust him for he had said he had resolved to do better, and meant to abide by the resolve. Isabella's heart gave her no peace till the time of sailing, when Peter sent Mr. Williams and another messenger whom she knew, to tell her he had sailed. But for a month afterwards she looked to see him emerging from some by-place in the city, and appearing before her. So afraid was she that he was still unfaithful and doing wrong. But he did not appear, and at length she believed him really gone. He left in the summer of 1839, and his friends heard nothing further from him till his mother received the following letter, dated October 17, 1840. My dear and beloved mother, I take this opportunity to write to you and inform you that I am well, and in hopes for to find you the same. I am got on board the same unlucky ship done of Nantucket. I am sorry for to say that I have been punished once severely by shoving my head in the fire for other folks. We have had bad luck, but in hopes to have better. We have about 2.30 on board, but in hopes, if don't have good luck, 
then my parents will receive me with thanks. I would like to know how my sisters are. Does my cousins live in New York yet? Have you got my letter? If not, inquired of Mr. Pierce Whitings. I wish you would write me an answer as soon as possible. I am your only son that is so far from your home in the wide briny ocean. I have seen more of the world than ever I expected, and if I ever should return home safe, I will tell you all my troubles and hardships. Mother, I hope you do not forget me, your dear and only son. I should like to know how Sophia and Betsy and Hannah come on. I hope you all will forgive me for all that I have done. Your son, Peter Van Wagner. Another letter reads as follows, dated March 22, 1841. My dear mother, I take this opportunity to write to you and inform you that I have been well and in good health. I have wrote you a letter before, but have received no answer from you, and was very anxious to see you. I hope to see you in a short time. I have had very hard luck, but are in hopes to have better in time to come. I should like if my sisters are well and all the people round the neighborhood. I expect to be home in twenty-two months or thereabouts. I have seen Samuel Latteret. Beware, there has happened very bad news to tell you that Peter Jackson is dead. He died within two days' sail of Otaheite, one of the Society Islands. The Peter Jackson that used to live at Latteret's, he died on board the ship Dunn of Nantucket, Captain Miller, in the latitude 1553 and longitude 148.30 west. I have no more to say at present, but write, as soon as possible, your only son, Peter Van Wagner. Another, containing the last intelligence she has had from her son, reads as follows, and was dated September 19, 1841. Dear Mother, I take the opportunity to write to you and inform you that I am well and in good health, and in hopes to find you in the same. This is the fifth letter that I have wrote to you and have received no answer, and it makes me very uneasy. So pray write as quick as you can and tell me how all the people is about the neighborhood. We are out from home twenty-three months, and in hope to be home in fifteen months. I have not much to say, but tell me if you have been up home since I left or not. I want to know what sort of a time is at home. We had very bad luck when we first came out, but since we have had very good. So I am in hopes to do well yet. But if I don't do well, you need not expect me home these five years. So write as quick as you can, won't you? So now I'm going to put an end to my writing at present. Notice, when this you see, remember me and place me in your mind. Get me to my home that's in the far distant west, to the scenes of my childhood that I like the best. There the tall cedars grow and the bright waters flow, where my parents will greet me, white man, let me go. Let me go to the spot where the cataract plays, where oft I have sported in my boyish days. And there is my poor mother, whose heart ever flows, at the side of her poor child. To her, let me go, let me go. Your only son, Peter Van Wagner. Since the date of the last letter, Isabella has heard no tidings from her long-absent son, though ardently does her mother's heart long for such tidings, as her thoughts follow him round the world, in his perilous vocation, saying within herself, He is good now, I have no doubt. I feel sure that he has persevered and kept the resolve he made before he left home. He seemed so different before he went, so determined to do better. His letters are inserted here for preservation in case they prove the last she ever hears from him in this world.
End of chapter 20. Recording by Michelle Thompson.